Hey everyone, it's Maribel Blue with a new Maribel Blue Unfiltered, the Inspiration Edition. Well, it's a little personal Inspiration Edition. I had gotten some requests to discuss my journey to sobriety. Now, if you read the article that I had put up on, I believe it is maribelblue.com. I may have put it on Maribel Blue Unfiltered. I can't even keep up with myself anymore. But I did discuss my journey to sobriety a little bit. I wanted to get more in debt about my journey, how I became clean and sober. And I say clean and sober because for the public world, people can't grasp the word clean. They really don't know what that means. And in Narcotics Anonymous lingo, Clean means it's all-inclusive with any mood or mind-altering chemical. Those, that's what's in the, the literature. So when I talk about my sobriety and I say clean and sober, that's basically for public consumption so that you can understand that I abstain from everything. Today I'm recording this. It is May 26, a week after my birthday. Thank you very, very much for all of the birthday wishes that everybody posted on social media and texting, etc. Thank you, thank you. It means the world to me when people just reach out and say happy birthday to you. I have another birthday coming up, which is my 30th year of sobriety and that will be June 16th. So in essence I wanted to record this before I had came up on my 30th year as a celebration I guess if you will of my journey of all of this time not having to consume anything that took me out of myself. So I basically want to start from the beginning. I'm not going to play any commercials or anything like that. I really want to keep this short and simple and to the point in regards to what sobriety means to me and why I made this choice. It was not an easy choice. I will tell you that much. It was very difficult. I was very young. And as you know, I don't disclose my age, but people I'm sure can pretty much figure it out. I was very young when I got clean. I was confused. <laughs> Basically, I wasn't sure how I got to the point I got to, why I got here, and how can I get out of it where I would be able to at least drink. I mean, you took away everything else from me. Let me just have alcohol. And it's when I started to understand that alcohol was also part of the problem. So I wasn't happy about that. Initially, when I first got clean, I 
stayed clean for about eight days. And then I was like, fuck this shit. I'm not doing this. And I want to say it had to be in early May. And of course, one thing led to another. And I was, I was in a rehab. And I was not very happy about it. And I, I think about it now. I think about being there and what it was like to be secluded and not part of the world. And I remember they showed us a lot of different videos of people who had found sobriety and they were in this journey of recovery. I will say this, being stuck in a rehab, I was not a happy camper. I did not want to be trapped and being told what to do. Basically, I just wanted to be left alone and not have anybody making choices for me for my life. Now, understand this. I'm cutting out all of the ugly parts. I am still very sensitive to discuss certain aspects of my life. So it's uncomfortable because I still get afraid how people are going to judge me, believe it or not. Even though I have come to a place in my current life right now as it stands that I really don't give a fuck what people think about me, the things that I do. But when it comes to my past, I hold it very privately because a lot of people still believe once an addict, always an addict. And yes, true, but it's a matter of staying clean and following the guidelines of the 12 steps. How do you choose to live your life outside of the meetings? How you interact with people? How you conduct yourselves? We've all seen it recently and and people, and, and I'm sure that these people don't have any kind of drug problems whatsoever, but we hear about these Karens and these Kevins and all of these very presumptuous people that think they know what they're talking about when it comes to the whole mask situation and the CO2. I don't know where they're getting the information from. I think a lot of, there's a lot of websites that are full of shit and they should just take down all of those sites because people are just losing their minds for no reason at all other than conjuring up bullshit in their head. And these will be the very same people who will sit there and say, well, if you use drugs, you will always use drugs. And that's not necessarily true because here I am coming up on 30 years. That takes a lot. For some people, it takes a lot to put one day together. I couldn't even last for eight days. I lasted for eight days, yes. But when I realized that I also had to give up alcohol, I was out the door. I was like, well, I don't need this because I really don't have a problem with alcohol. And I had a me problem, <laughs> if anybody gets that. So when I was in rehab, I remember we had to participate in a meeting. And basically what that is, is Narcotics Anonymous has a thing called public information. And what they do is they go to different facilities. They coordinate with the people there to have Narcotics Anonymous members 
shared their experience, strength, and hope, basically a meeting. And I remember the man sharing. I didn't know who he was. I didn't like him at first sight. And I was sitting there with my arms crossed. I was not in a good mood. And he said only looking at this room, and I realized that there was this was a thing that people would say in meetings, that there would only be two people out of everybody in that room that would make it and stay clean. And as angry as I was, and as much as I didn't want to be there at that rehab, with my arms crossed, I said to myself, I didn't say this out loud, well, I'm going to be one of those two people. I'm not going to be here ever again. I felt that was a challenge, that I didn't need to subject myself to the environment that I was in to have my perfume taken away from me because apparently people drink the shit, which I think is disgusting just to get a high. I just couldn't see myself doing shit like that. But I guess some people do it. They get desperate enough. They'll drink a bottle of perfume. That was the beginning of my journey. I really believed that I had something to prove. And within that first year, I was making meetings every day. My parents didn't like it. I was stuck living with them again because I I had no job. I had no money. I had nothing. It was like starting all over again from scratch. I had the opportunity because I was young. So I did have like that second chance. But I also experienced backlash within the people at the meetings because I was young. I was a young person coming into these rooms while there were people who were much older than me. They did drugs that I never did, that I was afraid to try. And it was just really a matter of taking everything a day at a time. And that's what I did. So long and behold, my first year, I had said to myself, if I could just make this first year, I'm going to start drinking again. And I'm going to control myself when I drink. I'm not going to get out of control. I'm telling you, I had a plan, people. Anybody who's listening to this, who has been in, in this type of position, who's who's first got clean and have been clean for a long time, I'm sure that you're laughing. I may I was making these deals with myself. I remember even I was hanging out with this with this friend of mine and she was telling me, Don't worry, we got you. We're we'll we'll control it for you. It was crazy because I wanted to feel normal. To me, normalcy was going out to the bar, drinking and having a good time without landing on the floor. And I can tell you, I've lost count on how many times I went out and landed on the floor or my apartment at the time that I had was spinning out of control because I had drank so much. It's not a good feeling. There were times even when I would be hanging out with my friend and she would feel like she would have to babysit me 
because that's how bad I would be sometimes when we would go out. In that first year, getting back to the to the first year, clearly everything that I just mm-hmm. said, when I as as every day went by and I was clean, it was 30 days, it was 60 days, so on and so forth. I wasn't thinking of those little details that I just shared with you about how my night ended up with me being on the floor. There was even one time I had ran into my cousin at the at the train station and I must have been acting like a fool. I was with somebody and my cousin saw me from across the platform. She was with her mom who was alive at the time. It was just crazy. Like she looked at me like, oh my God. I mean, we're very close now. So <laughs> thank goodness. Thinking about the look on her face when she saw me, um, I'm sure that she thought to herself, wow, my cousin is fucked up and will always be this way. So it's nice to know that I have this wonderful relationship with my cousin and that she trusts me, whereas a lot of people did not because they just didn't know what person they were going to encounter that day. Was I going to be the sober one or was I going to be the out of control drunk and telling everybody that I love them? And these are the little details that I was not thinking about as I was in my journey of recovery. There were many of times that I was tempted. I really don't know how to explain the temptation. It wasn't like in my first year I was going out to a bar because that wasn't the case. But they tell you in the beginning to stay away from people, places, and things. And I sort of did that. I I struggled a lot. I wanted to be with my friends. I wanted to hang out in the park. But when you see people drinking their beers and smoking their weed and you can't do that shit, I just found myself finding less in common with the people that I wanted to hang out with. I couldn't do what they were doing because they did not have a problem. You see, you understand. A lot of people want to point fingers and blame other people for their problems. And grown people do this every fucking day. I see it. And it's insane. It's just like, when are you going to take responsibility for yourself? That's the problem with society today. They want to blame others for their problems and they can't find it in themselves to take personal responsibility. Hence the reason why I stay away from a lot of people. My circle is very, very small. I don't fuck with a lot of people. I just don't. I see a lot of the shit that's going on in social media today. And I really just have to take a step back and not partake. Because when I partake, all hell is going to break loose. And I can't put myself in that position. During my first year, I had met somebody... And they highly suggest not to get into a relationship. But for some reason, I decided, well, I'm gonna. And even though I did, I feel that that relationship saved me because I kept toying around with the idea that I was going to drink again. I was really set on, I am going to drink regardless. 
Let me just get through this year so that nobody's on my back. I'll get a job. I don't care what job I get. I just want to be able to feel normal. There's that word again, normalcy. People are very confused about what normalcy is. There was an interview that I was watching. I believe it was earlier this year. No, it was last year. I'm sorry, it was last year. And and the girl had said that we have to stop normalizing abnormal behavior. And she's right. People think it's okay to say and do certain things like this whole cancel culture thing. I don't like it. We have to take it off. Quite honestly, cancel culture, fuck you. That's the way I feel about you guys. You just want to cancel out everything because you can't deal with the truth in front of you. And that's not the way I was raised. I was raised super hardcore. Get fucking thick skin and ride with life and deal with it as it comes. Period. The end. There's nobody here to coddle you and tell you, don't worry, we have an award for you for last place. You see, every day that I dealt with being clean a day at a time, even if I had a shitty day, I had to remind myself that it was a successful day because I did not use. As much as I wanted to, I didn't. So I got into this relationship and it wasn't your average relationship. My partner was dying when I met him and I eventually became a caregiver for him. We were not intimate in the sense that anyone would think because he had a terminal disease that was also passable to somebody else and I was not in a position to take a risk in getting that disease and thank goodness I did not. But it was difficult to say the least to be with somebody who was dying and I had no control over it. And nobody ever prepares you for someone's death. I've dealt with death of pets early on in my life. Relatives who lived not for a long time and some have but like I said I was much younger and when it came to the day that he died it was just really a matter of having my family close to me I wasn't thinking about drinking I wasn't thinking about drowning my sorrow in alcohol I was just thinking I need to get through these moments because there are going to be people that are going to show up at his funeral and I need to be strong and present. And maybe that was the first time that I didn't think about drinking. I didn't think about getting outside of myself by using some kind of chemical so that I wouldn't feel 
my feelings. Because you see, when you're using, you are planning your feelings. You wake up in the morning, okay, I'm going to get drunk. And then you're going to be drunk all day. And that's how you're going to feel. An unproductive member of society. And I wanted to finish my thought about becoming an unproductive member of society, which leads me to something that I had seen on one of the Real Housewives reunion where Andy Cohen, as I like to call him, Idiot Andy, was discussing with Bronwyn, who's also another hot mess, about being a functioning alcoholic. And I couldn't believe that he even said that. But at the same time, I'm not surprised that anyone who doesn't understand the levels of addiction would believe in their mind that there is such a thing as any type of functioning addict and alcoholic. There isn't. I remember a while back, my friend Mistress Rage, she has sent me an article. I can't remember if it was her or it was a friend of mine, but I remember we were talking about a man who works at a university in New York and he does heroin, I believe three times a week. And he believes he is a functioning heroin addict because he has this idea in his mind that he is controlling his use by limiting the days of the week he uses it. Now, if you look at him, you can tell totally that he's using drugs. There's something about a person's look that you can tell. Now, if you're thinking, oh, she's being judgy, because I got that too with the, with the bachelor thing. No, I'm not being judgy, okay? Let's get real here. For anybody who's listening and appreciates the reality of realness, <laughs> okay, when people use drugs, they have a certain look about them. And sometimes that look, it's, it's, it is what makes people want to stay away from you, basically. When people knew that I had a problem, nobody wanted to be my friend. And I didn't understand that until later when I got clean and sober. But in the midst of it, who were my friends with just other using people? They weren't sitting there telling me, oh, no, today's not a good day for you not to use. Every day was a good day. So when I hear somebody like Andy Cohen say, you can be a functioning alcoholic. You can work out during the day and then drink to your blotto at night. No, Andy, I have news for you. That is not healthy at all. Anybody who knows anybody who lives with an addict, alcoholic, 
who is seeing firsthand how dysfunctional that life can be. There's nothing functional about it. Nothing. The same way with this man who is using heroin. And he's a professor at a university. Come on. So you're saying that it's okay to use drugs for as long as you're controlling or and or limiting it a certain number of days per week. That's fucking bullshit. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was with Bronwyn. When last year when they were showing the uh, Real Housewives of Orange County and Bronwyn decided to get sober, and I had written about this on my Maribel Blue Unfiltered site, right away she got the know-it-alls. I know what I want. I know what I'm looking for. Her husband wasn't healthy for her. I need people who's going to be supportive. And then on top of that, pointing out everybody else's flaws because now everybody else had a problem now that she has this sober view. Everybody's at fault with it in one form or another. Once you have... Once you remove that veil and you can see the world for what it is, it doesn't give you the right to start pointing fingers and and assuming that other people have alcohol and or drug problems. That's for that person to figure it out on their own, basically. It's not for me. One of the things that I used to hear a lot in the rooms that if this was a program for people who needed who needed it, we would be filling baseball and football stadiums, right? Because we would just assume that if somebody gets drunk every weekend, they have a problem. It's not for me or for the next recovering person to say who is an addict and who is not. That's not my job. My job is for me to stay clean a day at a time. So when I hear somebody like Bronwyn talking all of this shit at the time that she had three months of sobriety, I know what I want for my life. I know exactly what I need. You don't know shit. When I had three months sober, I didn't know shit. Like I said earlier in the podcast, I believe, I know I said it somewhere, I'm I'm trying to think now, that things don't become clear immediately. The ego is still very fucking present. And her outburst, screaming at her kids and, and yelling at her husband at some point, apparently she had smacked him. It's clear to me from what, based on what I saw on television, okay, not from my own imagination, that Bronwyn has a lot more issues than just her alcoholism. And that's something she needs to deal with, either making more meetings, going to therapy, whatever it is that she needs to to do to address those issues. You see, I think that people on the outside, 
we like to say, get very confused about what they think a person who has a drug problem or an alcohol problem and or because like I said before, it's all inclusive. People like to make these distinguishes and at the end of the day, it's a mood and mind altering chemical. We have this whole movement now going on with the cannabis industry. I say more power to that industry because if it is helping people in one form or another, I don't have any issues with that whatsoever. My thing is that if you're doing things because it's a cool thing to do and you're not concentrating on your important tasks of the day, whatever that may be, you may have to look at that behavior because it may be a problem. I don't know. It's not for me to decide. It's for you as the individual. I am only sharing my personal experiences of what I went through, the tribulations that I had to deal with in one form or another, recognizing that the world wasn't going to stop because I am no longer using. Take, for example, Demi Lovato, making a big deal about the Froyo, and I'm walking in, I'm sensitive, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm sugar sensitive, whatever the fuck sensitivity this girl is going through with her food issues. Hi, Demi, I have food issues too. But you don't see me going into a place that I may have sensitivity to and then complaining about them while I'm there. Getting upset if they offer a sugar-free. Hi, bitch, there are people who are diabetic. Maybe they like to enjoy something without the adverse effects of, of the sugar and diabetes. We live in such a fucking self-centered world. And this is the one thing that I learned about the disease of addiction. It's self-centered. And people want to say, I'm clean and sober, but yet you want little things to adhere your needs so that you won't feel uncomfortable. When I got clean, there was no internet that I can go to. There was meetings that I physically went to. We went to the diner afterwards. We would eat. We would talk. We would drink coffee. It would be the meeting after the meeting. And that's how I was able to build friendships, by going out and getting to know people and not sitting on a fucking computer all day complaining and crying how the world is not catering to my sensitive needs. That's not the way it works. And for her to make that complaint, so that means I can go into a bar today where they're blatantly serving alcohol and complain how sensitive I am that They are serving alcohol and they have no idea that I'm an alcoholic. How could you serve alcohol? Hello? It's a fucking bar. And this is the level of stupidity that 
I don't understand and I don't want to understand. If you're Demi Lovato fans, hey, I'm not taking back anything that I said because the fact of the matter is if you feel that walking into an establishment will trigger anything, then don't go in there. It's that simple. People want to complicate the shit out of everything because the core of the self-centeredness, it has to be my way or no way at all. Can't work like that. You have to find a way to be comfortable with yourself. Every day, this is what I deal with. Why do I like to do more podcasts and video? Because I don't like looking back at myself and the weight that I've gained. It would even get me more upset when I would discuss it on social media and I would get guys telling me, well, I like big girls anyway. I don't give a fuck what you like. This is not about your comfortability. This is about my comfortability and the choices that I need to make in order for me to lose weight. I don't lose weight because of somebody else. I have to do it for me. I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel good about what I see in the mirror. And internally, it would be good for me, according to my doctor. And guess what? Not everybody out there in social media is a doctor. You think a doctor has all day to be talking to stupid ass people? I hate putting it that way, but lately social media has been really upsetting me with the crazy shit that I see on there. And it's like, I don't even want to partake anymore. Yes, I go on Instagram and I post, but now my Twitter presence has just been less and less. There's no engagement there. I don't know what they did. I don't even want to be bothered anymore. I have too many things to concentrate on. This is what sobriety teaches me every day, that I have to keep the focus on myself. How can I be better? How can I improve? How can I contribute to society? How can I be a better person to the person out there who is struggling and doesn't know that there is a better way? I want to close out with this because this is an article that I was working on, the Friends Reunion, and a lot of the things that People were saying about Matthew Perry. Why was he talking slurish and he looked sluggish and he didn't look like himself? It's no secret that Matthew Perry has struggled with addiction over the years. Even mentioning he can't recall in some of the seasons where he was present, clearly. I will say on a personal level, it's very hard to see somebody go through a point in their lives where maybe they relapsed after being clean for quite some time, and then you don't know what to do. You don't want to abandon them, but at the same time, you have to protect yourself because you don't want to be wrapped up in that world again. We as addicts, we always have to be careful. We don't want to wrap ourselves up with somebody who is using out of the fear that we could relapse ourselves. Even though we can turn around and say, oh, we can handle that. At the end of the day, you have no idea what you can handle, what you can or what you cannot. And you know what they say, if you hang out in the barbershop long enough, you're bound to get a haircut. 
That could be taken in a good way. That could be taken in a bad way. You see everybody walking out with short hair and they look fabulous. And you go and you chop your hair short and you look in the mirror and you're like, what the fuck did I do? It's something to that effect. And I saw how protective the cast was when it came to Matthew Perry. They were very loving. Um, there were times that when he spoke, like he started to speak, but it almost seems like they didn't let him finish and they would just kind of jump in so that nobody would catch on that he wasn't himself. One thing he said, how they all still keep in contact, and he said, well, nobody contacts me. Nobody stays in contact with me. And I kind of believe that because in the sense that if somebody has a drug problem, what's the first thing we do? We tend to digress and, and we don't participate in that relationship because of that person that's using. And it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, we have to stay away because we could be in danger ourselves from using some people just do that. I don't want to be bothered. If they're going to get high, if they're going to get drunk, if they're going to do this, I don't want any part of it whatsoever. And it made me sad to know that if this is the reason why they're not in touch with him, but at the same time, I can understand why. It's very, very difficult and very draining. And it sucked that after all of these years that people were waiting on this reunion, that it was overshadowed on how Matthew Perry looked that day. And I'm not sure what the public was expecting. If he has been relapsing all of these years, chances are you're not going to get the same Matthew Perry that you saw in 2004 when the show ended. And they nipped it in the bud by saying he had emergency dental surgery or what have you, and that's the reason why he was slurring. Okay, so be it. Leave it alone. But that's not what the Friends reunion should be remembered for. Understand what I'm saying? But it's Hollywood, and a lot of these miserable entertainers, that's what they like to focus on. They like to focus in on the, quote, misery, close quote, of another person instead of finding ways to focus on the positive of everything that happened during that reunion. Now, I did a review on it. I thought the reunion was good. It was nice to see them all together. Maybe just for me personally, I wanted more of the onset discussions of different episodes and what were their favorites and focus more on that than anything else. So today is June 1st. When I started recording this initially, it was May 26th, I believe. I couldn't finish it because this was something that I wanted to record without having people present in my house and being disruptive. I wanted to really come forth with integrity to share my story. 
on June 16th, I will have 30 years clean and sober. And to be honest with you, like I said in the beginning, I didn't know I would even make it this far. I thought many of times earlier in my sobriety over the years that at some point I was just going to drink and I wasn't going to even bother with this whole sobriety thing. And every day that I woke up, alcohol didn't enter my mind. That was a great day. All of that was being replaced with other things that I wanted to do. I wanted to write. I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to work and be a productive member of society. And then I found, hey, I don't want to be stuck in an office all day. I have a lot more to give. I, I want to be able to teach people. I want to be able to coach people because that's something that I truly, truly enjoy. And now I have an online store and I'm and I'm getting into so many different things and understanding a lot of different facets of my life better than I did before. Does that make me perfect? Hells no. This is why I bark about somebody like Bronwyn, who at the time, six, uh, uh, six months or three months or six months, and she knows everything. When you don't know shit, shut the fuck up. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'll admit that. I'm not a fan. I wish her all the best in her sobriety, but I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of people who come off with this aggressive, egotistical, narcissistic attitude of I know everything and you don't. Yes, we know stuff. And whatever it is that we've learned, we should be able to graciously pass that to others so that they can be productive members of society. And a lot of people are not. They're stuck on this woke, quote unquote, attitude. Well, I should say, quote unquote, woke attitude. <laughs> they think that by canceling things will make life better. And it doesn't work like that. I was texting a friend of mine a couple of days ago. We were talking about this whole cancel culture, quote unquote, woke people. And I said, they are just a bunch of spoiled, misinformed brats. And that's what you are. Until you start accepting reality for what it is and stop trying to be an overly sensitive person that everything bothers you and everything hurts you and you have to change it because my feelings are hurt. Working in corporate America, working for attorneys has taught me a lot about how sometimes your feelings don't fucking matter and people are just going to do what they're going to do. And people are still going to scream about how corporate people are, but that's never going to change. Sad but true. However, you can change. You have the power to change yourself, to change your attitude, to change your outlook on life. Not the power to change others. Don't get it confused and don't get it twisted. 
People take a stand and make a difference because they have done their research. They do their homework on how to advocate for certain things in this world and why and how we can do that. But trying to make things go away, that's not how it works. You have to deal with everything that comes at you. And every day I do, it's not something I enjoy. There are days that I have really, really good days. And then there are days that I'm just out for the count for whatever reason that is. I have no clue. But the most important thing that I have to remember that even if I didn't accomplish all of the task I wish to accomplish, I didn't fucking use. I didn't do anything to get outside of myself. And when people tell me when I say I'm coming up on 30 years and they're congratulating me and they talk about how they stopped one thing, but they're doing another thing, but they're still clean and sober. No, you're not. Being clean and sober means not having to take any mood or mind altering chemicals. That's it. There are people who like to smoke their weed and, and do their cannabis or what, for whatever reason that is. None of my business. Do you. But don't come back and tell me that you're clean too because you're not. There's a different mindset there. And for as long as I understand that mindset, then that's all that really matters. So I don't know what's going to happen on <laughs> 30 years plus one day. I just take it a day at a time. It has been quite a journey. I can only look forward to much more success and hopefully less heartache. <laughs> because those are not fun. Anyway, this is Maribel Blue signing off. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you feel that you do have a problem, there are many organizations that you can reach out to. There's Alcoholics Anonymous. There's Narcotics Anonymous. There's even an anonymous for anything, for gambling. If you have a gambling problem, if you have a sexual addiction, there's all these different anonymous places that you can go to and figure it out for whatever it is that you feel that you have. And if you don't, then you don't. Like I said from the beginning, it's not for me to decide. This is your journey, as is my journey. Whatever decision you decide to make, if you want to reach out and talk to me about it, I'm available. You know where to find me. So with all that being said, always remember, be good to yourself, be good to each other, and most importantly, take care of you. Bye, everybody.